isn't a feeling, but it's simply taking God at his word. And wow, is that so hard to put into practice at times. Thank you for tuning in to the Removing Barriers podcast. I'm Jay. And I'm MCG. And we're attempting to remove barriers so we can all have a clear view of the cross. This is episode 111 of the Removing Barriers podcast. And this is the 31st in the series of How Were Your Barriers Removed? And in this episode, we'll find out how Rebecca's barriers were removed when she came to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. This episode of the Removing Barriers podcast is sponsored by SWAP. If you are using paper maps for your outreach ministry, there is an easier way to create maps and follow up with contacts. Introducing the Soul Winning app, or SWAP for short. SWAP allows your church to effectively set up an outreach area, digitally map that area and allow app users to easily show progress on that map. You can print maps, record prayer requests, and follow up with contacts. Swap is offering a 30-day free trial and money-back guarantee. Go to thesoulwinningapp.com or theswap.io to sign up today. Swap the only outreach software designed specifically for soul winning and soul winners. Rebecca, welcome to the Removing Barriers podcast. Thank you so much. I am so excited to be able to share what the Lord's done in my life through the podcast. That's great. Great. Well, tell us, what state or country were you born in? So I was born in Tampa Bay, Florida. Oh, interesting. Yes. Were you raised there? So actually, it wasn't Tampa Bay. It was more Lakeland area. I misspoke there. It was Lakeland, Florida. And my dad was in the military when he was 19. He was very young there. And so he and my mom had moved from Germany to there. And that's where the Lord really began to work in their hearts about being involved in full-time ministry. So we lived there for about... uh four years. And then we moved to Knoxville, Tennessee, where my dad was in Bible college there. So, You described your father as being in the military. Mm -hmm. Can you give us a fuller picture of what type of family you were born into? Were you religious family, not so religious? Describe your family and upbringing to us. You know, I am so grateful for the family that God did place me in. I'm only a second generation Christian. My mom grew up in a family that was very moral. I mean, good people. I mean, still are to this day, but they didn't personally know Christ as their savior. My grandmother and grandfather both were professing Catholics and they still are, or my grandfather is. And my dad's side, they had always been in church as well, but uh, my dad's dad had experienced some issues with alcohol. And I mean, divorce and things. And so he grew up being around that and knowing that's not the kind of home that he wanted to have for his family. And so believe it or not, mom and dad actually met at JCPenney when they were about 18. And that was it. They got married then. It was actually through my dad's testimony and through bringing my mom to church that she became to know the Lord as her personal savior as well. And so then that's when they moved to Germany there and My dad fought in Operation Desert Shield, and he drove a tank, and mom worked over there and 
Germany. And then after that was over, they moved to Florida and that's where my life began. So that's a little bit about that realm of my life there. Do you have siblings? Where do you fall in the rank of your siblings, if you have any? So I do. I'm the oldest. It's me and my sister and my brother. So my brother's a sophomore at Pensacola. So that's very exciting for him. Cool. So tell us before salvation, what did your life or upbringing look like? So we know that you were born in a Christian family and stuff like that. Do you remember much of your life before salvation? You know, I was in school. My mom and dad chose to put me in a Christian school when I was about five. And again, I'm so grateful for the work that Christ had done even before my parents chose to bring me into the world. I mean, just a radical change that the Lord had done in my mom and dad's life through the testimony of people in Florida and the choices that they determined that they were going to implement into their home. That way, their children, me, Rachel and Jerry, my sisters and brothers could have also a godly upbringing. And so, uh, you know what? I was a really good kid. I'm not trying to be prideful. I'm just going to be honest. I was always that kid. I, you know, didn't ever get in trouble. I was, you know, that one kid who always got called on in children's church because I was, you know, the best one. But my dad explained to me as a little girl that I could never muster up enough good to be able to get to heaven. So I remember him sitting me down one day at home. I guess I had been asking about the Lord. And of course, I had been in church and I heard the gospel in Sunday school. And I guess it was at that moment that my dad realized, you know what? She understands sin. And I did. So it was that day, whenever I was about five, that I prayed and I realized that that I was a sinner, that I couldn't get to heaven on my own. So that all happened when I was five. So that was my life before Christ. And then fast forward about six years, and I went to a youth rally when I was about 11. And there was a man by the name of Bruce Fry. And he's actually preaching at a rally at my home church tonight, still faithfully serving the Lord there about wow. 10 years later. And he gave his testimony as well. And I mean, just throbs of people coming down the aisles. And I just remember thinking then that, okay, all I remember when I was five was just sitting on this pink couch with my dad. I don't know what I said. I don't know if I really meant, you know, just the devil putting doubts in my mind, you know, and then I was also the youth pastor's daughter. So I had gone to church with these people all of my life. I'm like, I can't admit that I'm having doubts. Like, I can't admit that maybe I didn't really mean it when I was five. And the name of this podcast is Removing Barriers. And I think definitely a barrier in my life at that point was my own pride. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought I had this position and this uh, standing and that if I went ahead and admitted that, wow, you know, I'm struggling here, that somehow that position would be torn down. But so grateful for the quiet moving of the Holy Spirit and his giving me the courage to set aside all those fears and those, really, it was my pride that got in the way there. And I went to the altar that day and, you know, maybe I got saved when I was four, maybe I got saved when I was 12. But now my life after Christ, his spirit is evident in my life. I couldn't do what I do without him. And, you know, his spirit bears witness with mine. And so that's a little bit about 
how I came to know the Lord. So. When Bruce Fry came to your church and had those meetings and shared mm-hmm. his testimony and was that the time that you heard the gospel for the first time or was it sometime earlier or you don't remember because you've pretty much heard it all your life? Yeah, you know, I had heard it all my life. I mean, the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. And it wasn't until I was about 12 there that I realized, okay, this has got to be personal. I can't be laying on the works of my parents who are good, godly people, or I can't depend on the workings of my people that I've gone to school with who were, again, good people. But I think it was at that point that I realized this has got to be personal and I've got to make this choice for myself. And I can't be worried about my friends or my even what my mom and dad were going to say. And of course, when I let them know about my doubts, of course, they were very loving and open to help there. So was the first time you come to a full realization of your sin, was that when your dad sat you down or you can go back to a time before that when you actually saw sin for the ugliness that it is? You know, as I was preparing for the podcast here, I can remember a very specific time when oh, I was about 10 and my dad had asked me a question and I lied to him and I knew that I had lied and I don't know why I even lied. I don't know if I, I was ashamed of something or he had threatened me with punishment or what. But it was at that moment that immediately I knew that I had lied. I'm like, oh, this feels terrible. I, I don't like this feeling that whatever I did, it's making me feel really guilty. And then a few minutes later, I went back to him and I had told him that I had lied. And wow, the guilt that just weighed off of my back. It felt so good to get that lie off of my back. And so that was when I was about 11, which probably gives proof again that I probably did get saved when I was four because I did not have the Holy Spirit in my life convicting me of that sin. I mean, a lost soul, a natural man can't convict himself of sin. Of course, that's all the Lord and his doing. So very true. Very true. I'm not going to ask if there were any barriers preventing you from salvation, because, you know, this was something where you might have been saved very, very early, very early on. Mm -hmm. But I will ask, have you had barriers to, what should we say, like assurance of your salvation? You mentioned in passing how sometimes the devil will be like, well, you know, were you really saved? Did you really know what you were doing? Oh, yes, yes. I'm just going to be honest. Yes. Did you struggle with that for a very long time or was it you just know, something I that you... know, I actually did. Mm-hmm. You know, and I guess this comes from being the firstborn child. You know, I'm very independent. I really don't need anyone, of course, which is very ignorant to even think that because God created us first to need him. And then, of course, he created us for others as well. But because I am such kind of an independent person... You know, I thought, okay, well, what if, what if I didn't say the right words? And what if I was only trying to sound impressive in my prayer whenever I was praying with my mentor who was working with me at youth conference? And then there came a time, and even now I have to still remind myself, you know, it's not the words that I say. And I think Christians and just kind of quote unquote religious people in general tend to put way too much focus on the prayer and 
really, it's not anything of us. And the Bible says very clearly that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that thou hast raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And so it says nothing about any action that I can procure up. It's all the Lord and his doing. And so when I get my focus off of myself, a barrier sometimes, and back onto what all that Christ has done in and through me, it's then where I can reach that full assurance again. So, Yeah, interesting. So maybe the barrier, as you said earlier, was maybe your pride of was I saved at four? Should I go forward mm-hmm. at 11? Maybe yeah. it was just too young, not knowing. Mm-hmm. Take us into that time when you went forward again at 11. Mm-hmm. If that's the point when you were saved and kind of give us a little bit more of a detailed account, detailed account of that mm-hmm. sure. and how a barriers were moved then. Mm-hmm. So in every group that I went to youth conferences, we always sit up very close to the front, which at that point wasn't an issue until I had to make the choice for myself. I'm like, oh, there's all these people going forward. And well, what about me? I mean, all I can remember, again, at that instance when I was four was pink couch and my dad sitting next to me. And I couldn't remember any words I'd prayed. I didn't ever remember reaching a full understanding. And maybe I had, you know, I, it was very many years ago, so I couldn't really recall. So I remember the internal struggle there thinking, oh, but I can't. I'm the youth pastor's daughter and my friends are here. And I actually come and traveled out of state. So I didn't really know the people there that well. And so it wasn't as familiar with them. And I really had to once again, just overcome that internal pride there. Like, okay, you know what? In the scope of eternity, this is a big deal. I mean, am I going to let my pride get in the way of me making the most important decision of my entire existence? You know, and my entire eternity is hanging on this one decision that either I don't or do make. And I want to be careful not to put the emphasis on myself there. If I would have listened to my own pride and allowed my fears to control me, then I probably wouldn't have stepped out and and I wouldn't have got those doubts removed. And so, again, with all the Holy Spirit's courage there, his prodding and reminding me of these truths that, hey, this is the most important decision ever. Don't let your pride get in the way. And again, just more as as I've grown in, in my walk, I'm realizing how important that the Holy Spirit is in your life and his voice that is ever sweet and calm and comforting. That's the voice that he uses when I'm deep in sin or when I think that I don't need him. He's never angry or he never deals with me in a way that is that would make me want to run from him, but in a way that would only and ever want me to be running to him. So, yeah, what did you say to the counselor or the person who dealt with you? Did you tell them that you wanted to be saved or you were having doubts? How did that conversation go? Mm-hmm. Well, we both went to the altar there. And again, I don't really remember that conversation too well either. But imagine that I said something like, you know, I mean, you've known me for a long time and I'm supposed to be saved. And it was a lady that, again, that my mom and dad and we were very close with there. So I felt comfortable in sharing my heart there. 
And she led me in a prayer and then I just repeated after her. And so even in that prayer at that moment, I was thinking, oh, well, I kind of have to make sure that, that I sound educated and Christian. And, you know, I was kind of doing it because again, yes, I was having doubts, but I didn't also want to seem foolish in front of her either. And so later on, even that, that was something that the devil used. Well, well, you were just trying to look good in front of her and God didn't really hear your prayer because he knew that you were being prideful, you know, and it's just the devil's voice there trying to get in the way of me reminding myself, you know, that God looks at the heart and he sees your motives far better than you can. So, And would you say in retrospect, your motive at that time was what? If you were to describe it, what was your heart in repeating that prayer? Again, you said very clearly that we tend to put the emphasis on the prayer. Mm -hmm, If you prayed a prayer, mm -hmm. then you must be saved. And that's obviously not the case. But Mm -hmm. when you prayed that prayer, your heart was crying out for something. What was your heart crying out to God for? Well, you know, I wanted to be sure that I wasn't going to spend an eternity in hell. And so, whereas maybe the surface emotion there was, oh, well, well, I have to make sure that I sound good and everything. The foundational feeling was a kind of fear in realizing that if I don't admit that I'm a sinner, that Christ is the one who paid my sin, then I'm not going to be able to have a relationship with him. And if I don't have that relationship with him, then I'm not going to be able to go to heaven one day. And so that was my overall heart there. And I'm so grateful that, again, God can see past all those barriers of my pride and my ignorance and, you know, even my mistakes and see my true desire there to have that relationship with him. And as the Bible says, all we have to do is believe and confess. And so it's this twofold thing there, both of which are nothing of me. But if I believe in my heart, again, not anything of me, but believing and confessing, then he says that he does hear and that he will save. And what a wonderful, gracious thought that is. Yep. All right. You're listening to the Removing Barriers podcast. This is Don Rebecca. I'm here finding out how, where her barriers remove. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Jay. MCG and I would like for you to help us remove barriers by going to removingbarriers.net and subscribing to receive all things Removing Barriers. If you'd like to take your efforts a bit further and help us keep the mics on, consider donating at removingbarriers.net slash donate. Removing Barriers, a clear view of the cross. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Removing Barriers podcast. Did you know that you could find us on Twitter, Gab, Parler, Facebook, and Reddit? Go to removingbarriers.net slash contact and like and follow us on social media. Removing Barriers, a clear view of the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Tell us, Rebecca, after salvation, what changes were evident in your life? Well, I was not this horrible little demon of a girl who was out stealing candy and doing all these horrible things. That was my sister. But not me. (laughs) (laughs) No. But it wasn't until 
Really, and I'm kind of ashamed to say, but when I started teaching, it was such a revealing work. And I realized that I'd never really been placed in situations where I had to give of myself and nobody appreciated what I was doing. And it was through that that I knew it was the Holy Spirit in me just working in and through that sanctifying work. Because after one's saved, I mean, we're not just saved to sit and you know, listen to preaching for the rest of our lives, you know, we're to act upon what we've heard. And as the Lord sanctifies us, he sets us more apart. He's been doing that, especially in the last few years. There have been things in my life that I think that should work out. And I've really had to work on realizing that I'm under a new master now. I'm no longer my own master. And that verse you had just mentioned, I'm a completely new man. I'm under complete new control. And so I'm not responsible for, or I'm not allowed to lead my own life anymore. I'm responsible to be under a new master and a new Lord. And because of that, my actions and my words to the ones closest to me, the ones that maybe are not close, that all the students and the parents and the coworkers that I have to interact with, that is to look like Christ. And it's his life in me that produces that beautiful, sanctifying work. It's nothing of me. So just actually in the last few years, I've really seen evidence that, oh, there's no way I could ever be that nice if it weren't not for the Holy Spirit's leading and control in my life. Of course, he comes that moment that I'm saved. But just in the few years, I've really seen that evidence. So when you consider the way the culture is today, what you see in lost people today, whether it's out in the world or perhaps even some of your students, perhaps you see. Yes. Mm -hmm. When considering how we reach them with the gospel, do you think that the way your barriers were removed would be effective in reaching those people in the same way in the culture today? You know, I absolutely do. I think, okay, the, the people in our world Most of them didn't really grow up in a Christian home, but each and every human being who has ever walked the earth is in a way independent, thinking, oh, well, I don't need God or I don't need what that church has. And in a way, that's kind of what I was thinking as well. Like, oh, well, you know, I probably got saved. I don't really need to do that again. And well, this is only the most important decision that anyone will ever make in their entire life. But in relation to the ministry that God's granted me now. You know, I grew up going to a Christian school when I was homeschooled. And so it's neat how the Lord called me back into that because I know what my students are thinking because I was them. And so the students who do come from good homes and have heard the gospel their entire life, I can identify with them. And it was a few years ago that a fellow teacher actually made this comment that even saved people need to preach the gospel to themselves over and over again. Mm -hmm. At first I thought, why did they need to do that? They're already saved. But I mean, every day I need to remind myself that God loves me and that, that without him, I'd be on my way to hell. And it was his perfect sacrifice on the cross that ever even opened a relationship to God for me. And it was then that I realized, you know what, I do, I I need to be preaching the gospel to myself every day. And in essence, also to my students as well. I write a lady in Washington State, 
We've known each other for about five years and I have about 50 of her letters. We've just been going back and forth. We've only met in person one time, but she also taught at Bob Jones for a while. And she reminded me in one of her letters just last week to be always giving the gospel in class. I mean, it's a Christian school. I mean, they hear it in Bible class, they hear it in chapel, but not all of them are saved. And so again, that's been a good reminder for me as well to make sure that they know for sure that it's it's not of their own parents' merit or that they go to a Christian school that they can get to heaven. But it's that own personal relationship with Christ that is necessary in order for us to be able to spend any eternity with him. So you guys actually write physical letters? We do. We actually write physical letters, and it's literally the highlight of my months. Whenever I see a letter in her handwritten, I love it. Have you guys heard I of do. email? Yes, I have. No, 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 no. See, okay, so here's what MCG does not understand. There is something special about receiving a handwritten, a handwritten letter. Written in the letter. Mail. Yes, it, there is really you. is. I remember yeah. when I was deployed, and oh, no, 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 not deployed. I'm sorry, I was in boot camp, mm-hmm. and. Up to that point, I had never received a handwritten letter Isn't from that anyone. Wonderful? Oh, I but love it. when that mail came at Rebecca, I tell you, I would fight someone that <laughs> tried to take my. Yes, I, mean, I love it. It's so gold. Much. It's gold. It is. It's worth its weight in gold. And so I'm glad you understand. I totally you understand. <laughs> MCG over here trying to give you a hard time with yeah. email. All righty then. <laughs> So tell us, what are you doing personally in the area of evangelism to help others remove barriers that they're facing in their life? Well, so the Lord has blessed me to be able to be part of a excellent ministry at We have an academy there and I teach middle school English, which is a ministry in itself. Let me tell you, a lot of them don't even care about English, so I have to make them want to care. And no, the Lord gifted me with English in high school. That's a whole nother story in and of itself there. But I am constantly trying to remind the students again that it is that personal relationship with Christ that truly matters and to keep their eyes on eternity and not let the things of the world, the flesh, the devil get in their way of burying them in a wrong viewpoint of eternity. So and then also our church has a time when we all meet together to attend soul winning each Saturday. And so I'm blessed to have gotten to know you guys through that ministry. And so that's just a couple of ways that I get to accomplish that. Yeah, I wouldn't underestimate. And if anyone's thinking this, I don't think they are, but would never underestimate the impact a teacher can have on a student for Christ. Mm -hmm. I know this in my life personally, but you could be pouring into a student, pouring into a student, pouring into a student, and you just think that it's, you know, water off a duck's back and Mm -hmm. nothing's really penetrating. And then that student comes back many years later and describes to you what impact you had on their lives. And they're like, what? I mean, when I was single in the church, my roommate was an English teacher at the academy. And she would just pour into her students. Sometimes she'd come to the home we were all sharing and she'd just you know, just, she wouldn't complain, but she would just be like, oh, you could see her heart and wanting to reach the children. And she just Mm. couldn't really see how she was connecting. And all these kids had, I mean, these kids have poker faces, like no one's business. You just don't know what's in their head. 
And I've seen many times many students return to her and thank her and tell her how she touched their lives or something she said in class that they held on to many, many years afterward, even in mm-hmm. college or maybe something that she taught them. And when they were in their freshman, you know, English 101 or whatever <laughs> type class and the professor asked a question that only they knew the answer to oh, because wow. they remembered what she taught them in class. and. Just that impact that you have on a student as their teacher. I know days are long and the years are short, but don't underestimate it. You're going to have students come back and say, you know, Miss Rebecca, you did this or you said that and it changed me for Christ in this way or that way. And so the fact that you could reach them with the gospel and you have that opportunity Mm -hmm. for what 30 45 minutes every day for the school week that's really huge and it'll add up and oh yes and you add it up yeah and the scripture says that god's word will not return void so Mm -hmm. great well let's go into a little bit of a fun section to find out some of your favorites so tell us what is your favorite scripture verse so you know the lord's used different verses in my life through different seasons but for a while, I just picked the verse Acts 11.9, not Acts, sorry, Luke 11.9, which states, ask and you shall receive, knock and the door shall be opened unto you. But just recently, a kind of new life verse that I think describes my life's mission and goal now, it comes from John chapter 15 and in verse 16, it says, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. And so I mentioned a bit about the sanctification process and how that begins the moment that a child is born into God's family. And I think that's probably, no, well, I know it's the most painful process that any individual go through because it's the Lord easily, but painfully for us, removing all of our carnal earthly viewpoints of ourselves and of the world and he chose us and so whenever I start to get on on a high horse about you know things in my life that I think I'm doing well I have to keep in mind here that I didn't do anything to earn God's favor but he chose me and now I'm his child again I'm under his control and I am to bring forth fruit. And so it's not just to stop with Rebecca Lashley. It's to go on into others as I train and disciple as he has commanded all of his children and that your fruit should remain. And so what glory he gets out of my life whenever I am bearing forth, not just a little fruit, but he goes on in that chapter to say much fruit. And that's kind of the whole mission statement that I'm adopting for my life right now. And so that's a verse that God's really using in my life. So good. What is your favorite historical biblical account? Okay, so I was, I was reading through the questions and without fail, it's been Elijah and the account when it's just him with all, all of those false prophets of Baal and he did all this work, the water, the fire, and God did it. He just consume the whole altar and what glory that God got out of that instance. And, you know, for Elijah, a man who had been through a lot, who thought that he was the only one, and yet he's like this hero for obeying God fully. 
And so I've always liked that account because it's so drastic. Like, wow, he just took the whole thing, water, rocks, altar, the animal, everything. It's awesome. I remember just a quick side note. I remember sharing that story with my children. Not a story, a historical account. I was reading Mm -hmm. that account with my children. And I said, yeah, everything burned up. And my oldest was like, even the water? I said, yeah, "Yeah, even the water. He said, Uh, that's a lot of steam. (laughs) I said, yeah, that would make a lot of steam. But Lord, Uh, burned it all up. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say is the most convicting scripture passage to you? So that's a hard one, but I'm just going to take one that the Lord has just recently actually was like last night used in my heart there. It was talking about how our faith was to be rooted in not our feeling, but in Christ. And over and over again, I've heard in Bible college and just through different preachers that I've heard that faith isn't a feeling, but it's simply taking God at his word. And wow, is that so hard to put into practice at times. But in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22 here, it says, let us draw near with a true heart. And then this next propositional phrases say, in full assurance of faith. And the person that I was reading through, he made the comment, he said, it doesn't say to draw near with a clear head. So I'm not always going to understand things that the Lord's doing in my life. But then again, that's not what the Lord's asking me. He's not asking me to understand his plan fully. In fact, his word says that that's impossible for my brain. I'm finite. Lean not on thine own understanding is what he says in Proverbs 3. But let us draw near with a true heart. And of course, I have a new heart because Christ gave it to me at the beginning. I'm a new creature. And so I have a new heart. And so with that heart that he has granted me, I can have full assurance of faith that God will grant whatever I ask that is in his will. And so that has been an extremely convicting verse that I shouldn't be relying on my own understanding. And because I don't always have a clear head, very few moments in my life where I actually understand everything that God is doing. But what a relief comes to my soul. And I realize I don't have to understand it all. That's not what God asks of me. He asks that I draw near to him with that new heart that he has so graciously granted to me. So, you know, that sounds like a really great answer to the next question I was going to ask. What's the most comforting scripture memory here to you? So I realize it's probably a different one, but what would be Mm -hmm. your most comforting scripture verse? You know, so I kind of feel guilty because I'm not a mom yet. I don't really have anything that challenging going on in my life, but there are days when I feel very tired and overwhelmed with many of the things that I feel I have to carry out. And that verse in Deuteronomy chapter 22, it says, as thy days, so shall thy strength be. And how many times does the Holy Spirit have to remind me, look, I've asked you to accomplish this goal. So I'm going to give you the strength, comfort, and courage to accomplish that. So it's nothing of me. The context of that verse was in that the Israelites were trying to make it to Canaan and off. They've traveled for months and months and years and years and their shoes never wore out in all that time. And that's actually what it says at the beginning there. As if my life is any harder than the people of Israel. Of course it isn't. (laughs) But it begins there. Thy shoes shall be iron and brass and as thy days, so shall thy strength be. So not only was he taking care of their physical needs there, but he was also taking care of their 
emotional needs as well. And that's a verse that many times God has used to bring comfort and peace to me. Great. All right. What is your favorite hymn of the faith? So also a whole nother story. When I had brain surgery, the Lord kind of helped me to rediscover this hymn. It was called Under His Wings. And because I'm a literature teacher, I love songs that help paint a picture. And what a beautiful picture that paints of God having wings. Like, what? How in the world does God have wings? Well, it's that picture there of a mother hen or an animal bringing her young close to her side and protecting them from the hurt and pains and worldly things that would bring harm to them. And that's exactly what God does with us. So as if that message isn't beautiful of itself, you add the notes and the words, and it's just a great song. So, mm. And who would you say is your favorite giant of the faith? You know, I've always looked up to Amy Carmichael, and I used to look up to her because I thought she was pretty whenever I was young. <laughs> but as I've gotten older, I realized that, yes, she was total giant of the faith. I mean, spending, I think it was 52 years in India without a furlough, pouring out her life to making a change. And many of the horrible conditions for the young girls over there in India and her total abandonment to Christ and to his will for her. So I've always looked up to her. So I think I'm going to let you cheat a little bit there because it's supposed to be someone from the scriptures and not someone. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, no, no. It's okay. Oh, definitely. Me. I have one. I have. Who is it? Daniel. Daniel. So I've been doing okay. a study in his life because, wow, what a man used by God. I mean, all alone in a totally foreign country. And yet he was one of the most faithful people in the entire scriptures. In fact, I'm not sure if there's anything in scripture that Christ chooses to paint bad about him. and just willing to stand against the culture that he was in, willing to be the only one to pray to his God, even though it probably meant death. And then later on being raised to second in command over what Christians today would call a godless government, you know, just just amazing how, how God used him. And then later on in the book of Daniel, God uses him to see visions and things that no one could have dreamed of. And we're still benefiting from all that today. So I really admire Daniel. You mentioned brain surgery. You want to go into that? Sure. I will give you the short version. Yes. So when I was 11, I got bit by a mosquito. And that same mosquito had bitten a sick cow and given the disease that the cow had into my blood. And I was the first person in all of Knox County. We were living in Knoxville, Tennessee at the time, to have that disease. And so I was a very healthy child never really had any issues. And then I started to have a lot of headaches and my parents just thought it was maybe that I was outside too much and things. Well, one thing led to another and I had a what was called a grandma seizure one day when my heart stopped beating. And actually in the ambulance, they had to resuscitate my heart and the Lord really spared me there. So I was in the hospital for about a week then. And, you know, they said, oh, you don't have to worry about anything. You know, I mean, the chances of this ever happening again are very slim. And so about three or Four years passed and I started again of having more seizures and turns out it was related to that incident when I was 11 that I had had such bad scarring in my brain from that first horrible seizure that each time I would get tired or anxious or worried that that scarring would erupt and it would make me have a seizure. So that prevented me from getting a license and I couldn't really go to school properly. I would always have them. It was just not a very fun way to grow up. And so thankfully, the Lord put us into contact with some great doctors there in St. Louis Children's Hospital, and the doctor there mentioned brain surgery. 
And my mom and dad were like, brain surgery, what? Isn't that a little extensive? And so I was on all this medicine that was kind of, wasn't doing its job at all. I mean, it was up to like a thousand grams a day and still just wouldn't really, it wasn't affecting anything. So when I was 18, a year after my first year of college, I had had that done. And I have to be honest with you, I had other plans. I didn't want to be back at home after college, recovering from brain surgery. I had things I had wanted to do. I was supposed to be in a traveling group that summer. And I had to get pushed off to the side because I had to get this done. And I remember speaking to a man at college there about it and just thinking that I had already had my life figured out. Like, you know, okay. I had always heard growing up that, okay, through trials and through heartaches, it's either you get bitter or you become better. And I thought, okay, I am not going to be that person that's going to get bitter because, you know, that's really bad. And I don't want to be a bitter Christian, but I refused to become better for it. So, but really I had already made the choice. I mean, I thought that I was just going to be the same person and it wouldn't affect me. It's fine. But obviously I'd already chosen to become a little bitter about it, you know? And so I'm very grateful for the people that God placed in my life to help me through that. And so I did, I ended up having the surgery when I was 18. And even that in itself is a whole story as well. I had developed lacrosse and cephalitis. That was what the disease was called when I was 11. And then through that, I had developed epilepsy as well. So I would have seizures. And so the scarring had to be on a specific part of the brain. So you can't just have brain surgery. You have to do all kinds of scans to make sure that it's actually an operation that they can actually accomplish. So wouldn't you know it, I had all the scans and it just so happened, quote unquote, that the scarring was on the part of the brain that they could operate and that I was actually the perfect candidate for the surgery. So all glory to the Lord there. I was able to have the surgery and they removed all this, the scarring. And since then, I haven't had any seizures and I'm on no medicine at all. So totally just the Lord took away everything and I don't suffer anything today from that. And so all glory be to the Lord there. And actually two years after that surgery is when I knew that the Lord had used that in such a big way. Because as I was on the road, I can't tell you the number of people that I met that either had brain surgery or they had a child that had gone through it. And I knew what they were going through because I had been through it myself. And I'm reminded of that passage in scripture of why we go through things is for other people. That way we could empathize with them. And just the beauty in that trial there that the Lord used in my life. And I'm not trying to say that I know why he brought me through that because I still don't really sure I would have chosen that for myself. But the glory that the Lord has been able to get out of his choosing to take all of that away. It's opened up a lot of doors and different jobs that I've had throughout the years. Like, wow, brain surgery will explain how that is. And I've been able to witness for the Lord by getting into the gospel there. It's just testament to a God that can take horrible things and turn them into things that could be ultimately for my betterment and for his glory. So, All right. Well, praise the Lord for that.
Well, why don't we wrap it up and you tell us how can barriers be removed in the life of others? Well, you know, I can't testify that I know how they can be removed for everyone, but for myself and just what I'm realizing is that every day I have to make a choice that I'm going to submit myself to the Lord and to his work. And really not even to his work. First, I have to be submitted to him and realizing again that I'm not under my own rule anymore, that I'm his child and I'm required to be under his control. And so the barriers that may come into my day that try to get my eyes off of eternity, again, I can't go that direction because I'm under his leading and under his control. So Miss Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us on the Removing Barriers podcast. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. To get a hold of us, to support this podcast, or to learn more about Removing Barriers, go to removingbarriers.net. This has been the Removing Barriers podcast. We attempted to remove barriers so that we all can have a clear view of the cross.